Kia ora everybody. Um, hello. Um, I got it. Ooh, wow. That got your attention. Um, can you hear me down the back? Yes. Yeah, cool. Great. So I don't need to use your microphone. Um, kia ora koutou, uh, ko Craig Takawingawa. Um, my family are all up in Auckland and we uh, papa back to Scotland um, and England. Um, I now live in uh, Whanganui Atara, um, Wellington, and um, feel very close to Christchurch. Um, my my grandma lived here and my auntie and uncle. Um, uncle's passed away, but my auntie still lives here, and so I've got lots of cousins here. So I've grown up coming to Christchurch. Um, a special moment for me was in... Um, uh, well, yeah, special moment um, was the earthquake. So I was invited to come down and worked as part of the civil defence um, on the rescue and the recovery. Um, and so I remember driving past this building in its previous form, all caved in. And it was a very, very, very sad time because I grew up around these beautiful churches just throughout Christchurch. Um, but what I love is how beautiful um, that that um, that disaster, that shake-up, has created a beautiful city, and I really want to move here because it's certainly my favourite city. Um, that ri- the the riverside <laughs> and what they're doing, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll move. I promise. <laughs> Just looking for a job. Um, so, my, yeah, as I said, my name is Craig. Um, in two thousand and sixteen, so I grew up. Um, I grew up in Auckland at a Baptist church, a very conservative Baptist church. And um, I was a youth leader. And growing up as a youth leader, whenever we talked about uh, gay people, um, it was a, it was seen as a very bad thing. It was a sin. It was an abomination. It was the five verses in the Bible. Um, and and I became very anti-gay. But I knew that something was different about me um, because I kept going to farmers and hanging around the men's underwear section way too much. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, but I just, I just got told by my pastors that that was a sin, and I needed prayer, and I needed. Um, so it started with prayer with my by my elders. Um, I went to a Christian school, and so the uh, the I got um, special education, I suppose it was. Um, it then turned into a, a full blown conversion therapy course, um, and it, the the hardest moment was sitting around in a in a, ro- in a room with some very older men talking about my fantasy life and I felt so dirty and filthy at that point um, I then I, but I really wanted to get rid of this thing that I was told was that made me imperfect and I'm, I'm only in my 20 early 20 21 22 here you know and so I went to London um, and um, and during that stage met and had a real kind of crisis moment and met a pastor who said hey Craig have you ever thought about that it's okay to be gay and I said, no, never. that was the first time, and I am 30 at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he sat with me for a day. It wasn't the old hour coffee that you know a person normally gives you. Um, it was a full day, and he had um, lunch with me. He took me home to meet his family, and he went through the Bible and or went through, um, yeah, went through the Bible and really uh, gave me a different lens on it. And um, at the end of it, he said, you need to go home and you need to tell your parents. And you Because I'd been lying to my parents about who I really was. Um, so I went home, had that conversation with my family, and eventually came back to New Zealand um, 
and where I started, I realized that when I jumped on Google and typed in uh, Gay Christian New Zealand, um, all I was saw was um, some pretty horrific sermons. And I was like, we need to create something, a, tr- a different conversation. So I, um, I'm a bit of an IT geek. Um, so I created a website called diversechurch.co.nz. And then some people said, hey, why don't we run a conference? And so in 2017, we had our first conference up in Auckland. And now we're, this is conference number four, five. Um, and so that's what we're going to, that's what leads into, t- starts tomorrow, goes over the full weekend. Um, why we're running a, a, this youth um, part, this is new to our conference, um, but I had a conversation here with one of the youth work providers um, who is church-based, um, and I said to them, what do you do to teach, your, to teach your, your youth leaders who are going into public secular schools and meeting with public secular people, what do you do to teach them about LGBT um, youth? Because there's so many of them out there now. And, and it, it's a struggle for a lot of them, having to face the heteronormativity um, that exists. And he said, nothing. We don't, we, it's too much of a taboo t- subject for us. We don't want to touch it. So I said, all right, we'll do something. So as part of the Awaken Conference, I was passionate about setting up a, an event that sort of gave the opportunity for youth people that work with young people um, or maybe work with queer people to learn some things um, and hopefully help you with uh, whatever it is you do. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was my little meant to be short intro. intro. Um, but I'll hand to you, Curtis. Awesome. Actually, maybe you're going to kick us off first yeah. anyway, Jennifer. Well, if you want to just intro yourself. Sounds great. I'll intro myself on the next part. Kia ora koto. Uh, my name's Jen. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I'm 2AC and healthcare lead at Qtopia and Rainbow People Health and Wellbeing Advisor at Pegasus Health. Um, so if you're unfamiliar, Qtopia, we are a social support service for the whole Rainbow community based here in Christchurch, but working all throughout the South Island. Um, We run a whole range of different things. Um, Social services is one of our key threads. So we have a social group that meets every Wednesday at the Christchurch Art Gallery from 7 to 8.30, open to the whole community. So uh, previously we've been a really youth-focused organisation, but we're seeing more and more need from people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and above. Um, we do lots of sit-downs sit with young people with parents whose kids have just come out, um, a lot of that social support stuff. Um, education is another big focus, so lots of work with schools, support with policy and procedure development, with professional development, um, working with young people in schools, helping with curriculum delivery, um, and then healthcare is another really big focus. So we have a peer support service for all trans, gender diverse, questioning people in Waitaha, regardless of age, um, that's funded by Te Whatu Order. Um, we have this partnership role with Pegasus Health, which is Canterbury's largest primary health organisation. Um, so we do lots of GP practice trainings, um, other health service trainings, um, helping people navigate the healthcare system. And at the moment, lots of kind of systems change and advocacy work um, as we work through the Pi Order Health System Review. Um, so I have got some things to share with you tonight, but I wanted to kick off by saying um, that it's really important to me that this is a really safe, open and welcoming space. Um, what I find in sessions like this is that the most learning happens when people feel really comfortable and able to ask all their questions. So truly, truly, this is a no judgment space. There's no such thing as a dumb question or a silly question. Um, there's nothing too out there. There's nothing too strange. I get paid to answer your questions. It's one of my favourite parts of my job. Um, <laughs> And I know, especially when 
we can be new to this kind of stuff, figuring out the language and knowing exactly how to ask can make us feel real uncomfortable or a little bit anxious. So we're all here in good faith here together tonight. Please don't worry about offending me or upsetting me because you couldn't even if you tried. Truly, <laughs> <laughs> um, truly. I gave that spiel at the university a couple of years ago um, and right off the bat someone in the front row stuck their hand up in the air and I was like, yeah, I love an eager question. Um, and they asked... Am I continuing to uphold the gender binary by calling my dog a good boy? (laughs) (laughs) And we had a really great conversation about that. So I think that's like the most out there question I've got so far. Um, If you want to be in my anecdote, all you have to do is beat it, you know? (laughs) Um, So I thought I'd kick us off tonight by talking through some of the real basics. So on the table in front of you is this little gender unicorn. Um, this, I think, is the most amazing resource when you're trying to explain or talk about. <laughs> there should be enough for one each, but some of you might have to share. And we've got some spears down here if anyone needs some more. So, when we're talking about the Rainbow community, we're talking about people who are diverse in a whole range of different ways, um, including sexuality and gender. Um, uh, so the gender unicorn is really great for talking ex- about exactly how that diversity can look and work, right? Um, so we live in a really heteronormative society. On the, you know, we've touched a little bit on that already. Um, heteronormativity is that belief or assumption that in the world there are these two distinct genders and gender roles in life and that everyone's heter- heterosexual, right? It's really prevalent. Um, department stores are a really good example, right? If you imagine if you're walking into Kmart or the warehouse, um, the girls' clothes, a lot of them are going to be pink. Boys' clothes, a lot of them are going to be blue. Um, toys are the worst for it. Girls' toys, it's so much like Barbie cooking home stuff. Boys' toys is so much like trucks, adventure, making things, right? That's what we're talking about when we talk about heteronormativity, this idea that there's men and women, boys and girls, one likes pink, one likes blue, one wants to stay home and have babies, one wants to go out and drive a truck. That's the only option anyone has, right? One of those two really small boxes. Um, So that's really talking about the gender binary, this acknowledgement of just men and women and nothing else. Um, The gender unicorn really shows off the gender spectrum. So the first thing on there is gender identity. Gender identity is your personal sense of your own gender. It's about who we feel we are on the inside. Everyone has a gender identity. Um, and I really like the gender unicorn in particular because rather than presenting it as like a spectrum with like men here and women here and people might be in the middle, it really shows um, kind of masculinity and femininity, men and women, as like an attribute you could have alongside other genders or no genders, right? Um, so when you're filling this out, you might mark an X, you know, How much of a woman do you feel like? How much of a man do you feel like? How much of something else do you feel like? Um, Because there's a whole range of different ways that we can feel who we are when we're talking about gender diversity. Um, That includes things like non-binary gender identities, people who sit outside of that binary of male and female. Um, They might be somewhere kind of between the two of them, or they might have a little bit of both. Um, Some days people might feel more masculine or more feminine. Other people might zero on both male and female and just feel like another gender, right? Gender expression, the second thing on there, is all about how we can kind of communicate that gender to the outside world. So in our society, we're really good at associating genders with a whole range of different things, right? Clothes are gendered, hairstyles are gendered, body language is gendered, all of these things we can use to kind of express that gender to the outside world. Um, Even if that gendering, I think, is something we're leaving behind a lot more you know we can see gender expression change it's a social construct Um, even you know relatively recent memory it was quite progressive for a woman to be wearing pants right that's really changed so we can express our gender 
along this kind of feminine, masculine, or another kind of line, right? And that's something that is separate from gender identity. Uh, sex, when we're talking about sex, we're talking about the physical parts of our bodies that we think of as either male or female, that we're presumed or assigned at birth, right? Um, so male and female are the really common ones, but we know that's not such a strict binary either. Um, there's a whole range of intersex variations or intersex conditions, um, which are conditions that affect the body. There are about 60 different intersex conditions all up. Some of them are really physical, um, so we might identify babies intersex when they're born and their genitalia aren't what we expected. Um, lots of people who are intersex might find out when they go through puberty or when they try to have a child and find out that they can't because of what the condition is doing to their hormonal system. Um, but lots of intersex conditions are really chromosomal and can have really little impact on the body whatsoever. In fact, most intersex conditions have really little impact. Um, all up, those 60 different conditions are about as common as having red hair or green eyes, so 2 to 3% of the population. Um, but the vast majority of those are really chromosomal and the uh, smaller majority is physical or hormonal. So three options there for sex. Um, you might have noticed if you filled out the census this year the, for the first time, we're asking people for their, for their sex at birth and whether they're intersex, which is really great. We also ask people about their sexual attraction. So the gender unicorn talks about attraction in two different ways. When we're talking about sexuality, we're talking about the ways that people uh, experience and express their attraction to other people, their sexual attraction in particular. So you could be physically attracted to women, men, other genders. You can also be romantically attracted to women, men, other genders, right? And for lots of us, those two line up. Um, but for lots and lots of people, they might have a different sexual and romantic attraction, right? So this is a really useful tool for talking through these things. Um, if you've got a pen, feel free to fill one out for yourself or take it away and do it later. Um, I really love it. It's really great when you're talking through these concepts. Um, and it really exemplifies, I think, one of the important things about those concepts is that they all exist in relationship to each other but they don't always translate into each other, right? So someone's gender identity doesn't always match their gender expression. Um, it's really common for gender diverse people when they first come out to take some time for their external expression to kind of match their identity. Um, someone's gender identity or expression doesn't always match their sex or their sex presumed at birth. Um, myself, I'm a transgender woman, so my sex assigned at birth was male, but my gender identity is a woman. Um, and then sexuality sits alongside that altogether, right? So knowing that someone is trans or gender diverse or non-binary doesn't tell you anything about who they have relationships with or who they're attracted to, right? So all in relationship to each other. Any questions about those? Yes? Um, I go to the Transitional Cathedral and we're yep. doing a Lenten Bible study on the church's response to the Royal Commission yep. Um, child abuse and state and church care. One of the questions that have cropped up in our study sessions is how to refer to God. Yeah, absolutely. How, how, how should, what, what's your view on whether churches should be yeah. referring to God? I think I saw in the news recently, was it the Nash, the Catholic Church that have recently come out and said that they're going to start using they, them for God, that God has always been neither? Um, so that's a position that more and more people take. Um, I don't know if I have a personal opinion on it. I think that's something that could be up for interpretation or how people personally feel about it. I think... Um, yeah, I am not. I don't come from a faith background myself, so I don't have that relationship with God personally. Um, but from my understanding, you know, if we're thinking about it really practically, then the gender is a construct that we have made as humans, right? It makes sense that God would kind of sit outside of that construct. Any other questions? Beautiful. All right, I might hand back to you then. Awesome.
Thank you, Jen. All right. Can we have some lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Kia ora, welcome. Uh, my name's Curtis. Um, I go by he, him pronouns. Um, what can I tell you about me? I'm from Wales. Uh, I moved here about 10 years ago. I moved here for the rebuild. Um, so, yeah, similar to Craig. Um, my first experience of Christchurch was uh, having a tour through the CBD um, when they were kind of um, army personnel um, kind of guarding the uh, fences and gates. But um, it's looking pretty beautiful now. Um, when I'm driving through uh, the CBD with my kids, um, I'm not sure if you know that song. Um, we built this city. <laughs> we built this city. I, I just say, I built this city. <laughs> it's quite vain and egotistical, but um, just a little, a little small joke. Um, it's such a pleasure to be uh, here uh, this evening. Um, yeah, I've been in Christchurch now for 10 years. Um, I've been doing youth work and faith-based, faith-based youth work for um, around nine of those years, or nine or ten of those years, um, with Youthline and um, Big Brothers Big Sisters, uh, an organization called Recreate, and then uh, for the last five years with a local church and a um, youth organization that um, oversees youth work in high schools. Um, it's my privilege tonight to talk to you about... Hopefully this thing doesn't topple over. Systemic religion and its impact on how we have historically seen homosexuality as wrong. Um, this is just something that... Yeah. yeah. Um, just uh, maybe like a precursor or the fine print. Uh, I'm not going to give that title any justice in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> but um, hopefully over this time... Um, I'm going to share for Caro a thought, and I'm going to put it out to the table for a couple of minutes for you to have a bit of a talanoa, a bit of a conversation, um, and then we're just going to kind of um, go back and forth for a little bit. Um, I'm just going to read for you very briefly. Oh, and bef- before I go any further, I just want to say I'm not an expert, um, I'm not perfect, and I am not a theologian. Um, and I tried to write theologian down earlier, and I think I failed at writing down <laughs> theologian as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough one, yeah. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender young adults are disproportionate risk of experiencing distress and abuse. A recent meta-analysis by Friedman um, et al. 2011 found that lesbian, gay, and bisexual adolescents report higher rates of abuse, victimization, and bullying than their heterosexual peers. LGBT young adults also report higher rates of mental illness, Suicidal ideation, self-harm, LGBT young adults and youth are over five times more likely than their non-LGBT peers to report suicidal ideation. In fact, recent findings suggest that LGB young adults and youth are five times more likely to report previous suicide attempt compared to their non-LGBT peers. And that 25% to 32% of transgender late adolescents and young adults and youth have had previous suicide attempt. Just bear with me one second. <clears throat> um, 
In an interview with a rainbow youth, they shared about being very put off the idea of God. Due to knowing that Christians think something I cannot change is a sin. Now, I feel like I could just probably rattle off lots of um, different research, um, lots of quotes and references um, to the impact that that last statement has for our young people. Um, But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to share a little bit from my perspective on my experiences um, over the last few years. So like I said, I work for um, a local church and youth organization. Um, So did a lot of youth work and ran youth programs as a faith-based kind of program. And it was, um, I've had, in my experience, um, countless amount of young people who I have navigated the conversation of how they're feeling around their sexuality in different forms on a spectrum. Um, Some having this as the first opportunity to talk about it with another person, some feeling quite shameful still of it and not accepting of their own identity. And a lot of conversations kind of go around the edges of, hey, I might, or what would happen to someone if they were feeling like this? How might that be looked upon? Those kind of conversations. As I've journeyed with the faith community that I was a part of, um, we had um, a whole range of um, young adults in our community that over the, the space of three or four years um, were honest and brave enough and courageous enough to accept their identity um, as part of the rainbow community. And it was difficult for me and other people in my community to see those people hurt and disowned, pushed away, pushed to the margins, not given the chance or space to have conversation in a safe way. And even the last couple of years for myself, I found it extremely difficult to hold on to the integrity that I have in my values of character, inclusion of other people. I found it very difficult to align my values with my organization, my employer's values and my church community's values. That for me took a, an incredible toll on my, on, my, on my mental health, let alone others from the LGBTQ community. I feel like I've experienced in the last year or two a fraction or a percentage of what others may have had to go through. And I acknowledge that in the room now, um, you have your own experiences, maybe. And so what I'll ask you to do for maybe the next couple minutes is um, turn in on your table. And I want you to think about some stories that you might have heard in your youth work or in your faith communities or maybe just in your communities. This might even be something that has affected you. And I just want to say that um, share as much as you want in this space. Um, 
And just a reminder in sharing other people's stories that um, don't share their name and um, maybe you've had permission to share their story as well. So maybe um, on tables as well, I, I notice sometimes we kind of gravitate to the people we know and come with. That's okay. But if you feel like you want to get the most out of this uh, this evening, you might want to rejig some of the seating and sit next to someone that um, yeah, you didn't come with tonight or you're going to get a bit of a conversation going. So I'll leave that one with you. So the question is, uh, what impact have you seen um, in your spheres around the historic uh, seeing homosexuality as wrong? I'll leave you for a couple minutes, maybe. Yeah, yeah. 
Maybe just 30 more seconds to finish off your conversations. Yeah. 
Awesome. Sounds like some real good conversations were had. Um, I just wonder if anyone's brave enough. I just want to give the opportunity for you to, um, to throw some of them um, experiences back. Um, yeah, maybe just one or two off each table if you feel comfortable doing that. This table first. <laughs> Someone just shared about that they didn't realise just how um, it was possible to question things around faith. Yeah. So just that openness to then go actually. Yeah. The beginning, the beginning to do that. Yeah. Another one was um, just about a minister at a church um, being quite anti in terms of someone being wearing a rainbow pride bracelet. Yeah. So you need to take that off. You go going to church. And a change of that person um, made a difference. That they said, "Oh, can I come and help set up their rainbow pride birthday celebration?" And so uh, the, the business of personality, we only got three around the table. Yeah, awesome. And um, um, and and for me, it was just you know the the age and probably the framework in which you could sort of question originally being told. 35 years ago that God and gay don't match from someone in the gay community but then finding a, a church somewhere here where I can navigate those spaces together yeah me thanks Hemi <laughs> awesome anyone else um, we were kind of talking about like you know um um, religious schools and their um, acceptance of queerness and like you know um, Jen was talking about um, how most of the schools in South, South Island have really come on board and um, have helped students who are queer um, accepted them and made provisions for them so um, that was really cool Awesome, thank you Anyone else? I think for me it was it was um, briefly talk about but um, whenever it was brought up, um, it was always in a negative um, mindset or framework. Yeah, it was always an issue rather than something to be, yeah, you know, celebrated. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? We sort of talked about um, some of like the historic uh, stuff, you know, going back you know, 10-15 years, but also more recently as well of evidence that we've seen of you know um, homophobia and um, unfair treatment and stuff like within religious circles and within yeah. church circles. But we also talked about how far we have come in the last like four, five, six years. Um, and the development that we've had um, like for a lot of this stuff to be recognised as as being an issue and being something that we're you know, you know fighting to make um, you know, our churches a more belonging place for everyone. 
Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Back table, you want to chuck one in? So I just shared a bit of a story about me. Um, I'm not a youth worker yet. Um, so it's just my experience, how I grew up in a mining town where it was, it was seen wrong to be gay. It was looked down on and how my family looked down on it and where it can lead you. Yeah. Um, so with not having that support and not being able to openly talk about it or have that support from your family, how it can lead to addictions, it can lead to mental health issues and, mm. and where it can take you and how long it can take to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's just having the support being able to open up is, is quite a big thing to the for, for young people. So if you don't have it, yeah, it can take you to a lot of, a lot of dark places. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what we hear and see. Um, yeah, in our youth work, and a lot of youth workers would say the same as well. Um, just the last couple of things from me, I guess, is. Um, Something that has impacted my life at the moment is uh, myself and my wife have come away from our old faith community um, and have, that's been a deeply um, distressing time and a real hard time. Um, and I'm sharing that from my experience, but I know that that is the experience of others as well. Um, And yeah, and with that comes the, the, the breaking of relationships and, uh, you know, I've invested in life for a long time with, with people and in places and having to be in this shitty place <laughs> of not feeling like you can belong there anymore because of... Um, what your values are or how you feel. Um, yeah. But I do want to acknowledge that I haven't been perfect in that process. Um, and I've had to do a, a real good journey of myself in the last year or two as well and acknowledge um, where I've done things wrong. Um, and I say that because I feel like we're not going to move anytime soon on all churches um, being fully inclusive and um, real blessed to have this space here at Aldersgate where me and my wife have felt so welcoming in the last six months. Um, but what I have needed and what I have had in the last year and a half or two years is a community of people that have really rallied around us and supported us um, and I've been able to find spaces where I can sit in spaces along with other people and know that there's a space here for someone who might be gay and there might be a space here for someone who's Christian um, and that's okay. And I feel like we've got a long way to kind of go on creating those safe spaces where people can have those open conversations. I just want to flip it real quick just to finish off and acknowledge that we're not going to change the world over Hell's Pizza tonight. <laughs> but I'm really interested in continuing on um, yeah, a longer journey with youth workers in Christchurch uh, and helping identify what some issues are um, and what tools you might need and what resources you might need. There's awesome organizations um, like Utopia, Rainbow Youth, Inside Out, um, 
But I know from my experience and perspective of being in a faith-based, being really plugged in a faith-based, that there's a lot of youth leaders and um, church staff who are really um, wanting to be open and authentic with their relationship um, with who they are, sorry. So, just a quick, quick brainstorm of some things that you feel like you need going forward uh, as a way to put things in your kete um, for your youth work or for your church spaces. What things do you want and what things do you need? Maybe just have a quick one minute on your table and then feed them back to me if you can. Just one minute. Awesome, last 30 seconds, last 30 seconds, yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
If I was Father Christmas, what would you wish for? What do you want? What would you like if you could wave a magic wand? How could we resource you? What kind of things do you need? Yeah, more of these. More of these? More of these? Yeah. More Hell's Pizza. <laughs> 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 I think, like, along with that, it's just really helpful having the chances to have the conversations mm. with, like, like, I work in a Christian school, there's not many places outside of that bubble where I can interact with people who are not in the Christian school bubble, yeah. you know, and so having chances to come up with questions, I think, you were saying, just to hear those questions and to think about it a little bit more, it's really helpful. Yeah, safe spaces to be yeah. able to but hear and listen. Yeah. Well, to realise the questions you do, not you have, like, yeah. 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 Thank you. And I suppose it's also nice to meet other people who are trying to break, like, ask the dumb questions, and it feels okay to ask those dumb questions. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I love that this is set up as independent from any more traditional faith based organization, right? Because you're so limited in what you can say, mm-hmm. some of those. But people can step up here and say whatever they want. Yeah, me. a safe space for queer religious people because they don't get like a space in either community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there should be no limitations on what we talk about, really. It's just every black needs to like say it needs to be a safe space. There yeah. should be no limitations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should never go into a room or into any sort of group environment and not be able to talk about certain things. Yeah, nice. Yeah, thank you. We talked about clear communication and messaging from churches, um, because sometimes people don't know whether it's an affirming space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, Could we also have church leaders that know how to listen? Mm -hmm. What does it mean for a church to be affirming in this context? Yeah, I wrote that up and then I wiped it off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know where it would fit, but this is where it fits. You've got another side of the (laughs) one. Yeah, well, I'll just read it because there's a lot of writing. <laughs> and arrows. Um, but you would have seen anti-gay, anti-gay, we don't want you here. Mm-hmm. You're going to hell. Mm-hmm. Not house pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome in. Um, come in, sit down and listen. If you let God change you, then you can go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Accepted. Come and stay. But you must be celibate. Never fall in love or have a relationship. I think you'll get to heaven. I'm a little confused about, about grace and works. Affirming. You, sorry, my phone is spazzing out. You and your partner are welcome here. Be a part of our community. What gifts do you bring to serve God and our church? 
The kingdom of God is among us. What you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. That's one interpretation. I wonder if there's something else in that space is, you can be here, we'll tolerate you, but don't make too much noise Mm -hmm. because then we might have to move you along. Mm -hmm. In between that, sort of like that, we'll tolerate you, but yeah. I would add to that affirming definition, and something we talked about a little bit was um, taking care of your flock, right? So if you're in a church community and the the church, the institution itself is trying to be um, really affirming and welcoming and inclusive, but there are members of the congregation who aren't, Mm -hmm. right? Then you don't have a safer or welcoming space. Yeah. And there's an action that needs to be taken there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It goes both ways, though. Yeah, I've, I've been to a, I've been to I went to a gay church once in Salvation Army uniform, mind you, but they didn't know me from a bar of soap. And I walked in there, and I was made to feel unwelcome and small. Um, and they brushed me with the brushes of the past, and didn't, didn't welcome me into their church. And as I left, I said, "Look, I'm part of your community, and I'm in this church." But I, I came here because I thought I'd feel welcome, but I wasn't welcome because you saw me as different from yourself, which is what you're saying the whole world has done to this community. So I urge us all to to be to be welcoming as well. Mm. Not not to people who are homophobic and intolerant, but to give them the grace to understand mm. and to grow and to develop. I had a friend come to me two years after I came out of the closet and apologised for the mm. comments he made and thanked me for the grace I had given him mm. to just put him over here yeah. and continue to pray for him and that one day he would come back. Mm. So, um, Thank you for sharing yeah. that. And yeah, sorry that was your experience. Can I think out loud and say resources that might actually include people telling their stories. So yeah. not just written things, but maybe short media snippets of people with stories, people who've, who've done some of that journey. Um, yeah. I was having some conversations about how how impactful yeah. uh, just hearing someone else's story, just a small thing in which you might be able to identify. Mm-hmm. And I think sort of like networking with those and, you know, written stuff and presenting stuff is good and one-on-one time is good. But, you know, there's something quite invaluable about those little snippets that go, you know, this is, this is high on value, this is my experience, or something around that. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes in working, um, it's been able to refer people to other resources and they're curious and they might go away and look at something and go, actually, I can really connect with that. So I'm just thinking of yeah. that, that, that media sort of... Yeah, know. yeah, because I think it's true of us of each of us on the planet to want to find our people and our and who we are um and unfortunately especially in um faith communities we can sometimes feel really isolated and and alone and any form of hey this is another person here with a story is a glimmer of hope i think for some people yeah that's awesome hey One of the things that I've noticed since coming out and becoming a, a, you know, joining a minority community is the, um, 
the compassion that I've started to have for other minority communities. Mm. You start to see, you start to see the oppression of women in in, in our society. You start mm. to see, um, you know, it was a light bulb moment for me when you started having started list, uh, listening to Maori and hearing mm. the oppression that they have encountered in this country. You know, and and immediately you start to get it. And I think there almost needs to be a training on minority communities. It doesn't just have to be about the LGBT community, but yeah. and then yeah. it be across and applied to to all of those groups and understanding the difference between uh, what is it, equality and equitable? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the bigger box um, scenario. So that when you're providing services, you see before Jen, you're actually providing um, or you're actually providing more care for the LGBT community than you would your straight Yeah. Because they've got bigger needs, you know. Yeah. yeah. They've got larger hurts and things. Yeah. Um, I think another thing would be real cool is how to, um, not not just for queer people, but also allies. How do you, how do you live in a in a, a Christian or a more conservative workspace or church? How do you yeah. st- I guess stay true to that expression mm. um, mm. without mm. Um, losing your job? <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> For lack of a better phrase, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. I think on that one, and then, so we do a lot of work with faith-based schools in mm-hmm. particular, um, who are starting to come to us more and more often for advice on how to support their rainbow rangataki. Um, and in all the conversations we have with basically any organisation, but it goes doubly so for faith-based organisation, is bringing it back to the values of the faith, right? Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, every faith on the planet has a core tenet of loving each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I really bring back in those some of those difficult and longer and slower conversations because we can't always move fast, right? We really have to work with trust and what we have. Mm. Always bringing it back to the values of your faith, right? Like, I'm just living by my values. Mm. You know? yep. the, the organization's values might not match the values of the faith, but I'm living my values. Mm. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's good. Mm. Um, magic wish list. It'd be great to have, like, lots of clarity in Ōtutahi, as there's a lot of churches who hide behind ambiguity mm. and we're on a journey <laughs> and when people say that they're being dishonest is the current realities of those organisations when, when you look at their culture and their policies and their practices is they're non-affirming at a push they might be welcoming but you can't go to heaven <laughs> um, so it'd be great if all those churches were magically revealed in Australia yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as I think People need to know. Yeah. I think it's fair on people for people to see the truth. Um, the truth will set you free as well. Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's a, is there a website where you can... With Craig. <laughs> you, I was talking to Craig. There's Clarity Project, which is more international. And that's all about, you know, rape my church. Or rape the church down the road. If you've had an experience or you have an insight... Um, However, I don't think they have much time or energy for mm. Aotearoa and the ratings that get put in place. Um, so, yeah, Craig would be a great person to talk to more, eh? 
Older State. Sounds like he's got a website. Yeah. Older State is part of the Safe Space Alliance, yeah. which started here in Aotearoa, but is now international. You might have noticed on the front door there's a little rainbow circle, um, and that's something that people don't just sign up for. Right? Yeah. So they uh, enter through a conversation, um, so it's featured a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I know they have a number of organisations around the country. I don't know how many churches. This is um, the one I'm aware of in Christchurch. Mm. But yeah. yeah, things like that. Awesome. Shot will be. Awesome, that's probably enough of me. But if you think of any in the meantime, as we kind of carry on this evening, um, come and see me later and we'll pop them up on the board. Um, for now, I'll hand it back over to Jennifer. Thanks. Thank you. Um, I thought I would end off tonight by sharing some things that might be useful to you in your practice. Um, so I'll share a little bit about we know, what we know in terms of the rainbow community and its data and well-being in particular. Um, thinking about some of the specific experiences that rainbow people within religious communities might have themselves. Um, I wrote a list. I've already forgotten it. Um, I want to also talk about some of the protective factors because they really come into play in the work that we're doing with young people, which are real significant. Um, and then some practical tools and tips for allyship. So the data we have is still real thin on the ground. Um, this most recent census is the first time that we've asked everyone in the country about their relationship to the rainbow community. We've asked for their gender, we've asked for their sexuality, which is really fantastic. So soon we'll have, uh, for the first time, population-level data for the whole country. Um, some of our best data in Aotearoa actually comes from young people. So Youth 2000 is a survey series that's been carried out in high schools for years. Um, the most recent survey round, 2019, found that 16% of young people in high schools identified as um, gay, uh, bisexual, asexual or unsure, so part of the rainbow community in terms of their sexuality. Um, about 2 to 4% identified as trans, non-binary or gender diverse or unsure. Um, so putting that at kind of just below 20% which is kind of what we're seeing in international research as well. Our best estimates overseas would put the general population at about 10%. Um, and we're seeing data out of the states that puts that population rate among um, millennials, Gen Z, Gen X, younger as up to 50%. Um, 50, yeah, overseas for Gen Z in particular. Um, which doesn't surprise me, right? I think if we look at, there's a really interesting graph that looks at the rates of left-handedness as soon as we stopped punishing left-handedness because we saw this big spike, right? And then it leveled out to what was naturally the common rate of left-handedness in the population, right? So I suspect at some point in the next kind of 20, 30, 40 years, we might see a similar kind of leveling out as we reach that natural rate. But it's something that has been so policed for so long, right? Um, Youth 19 also uh, is really great for looking at the well-being of young people. So it found that 7% of young people in high schools who identified as gay, bisexual, asexual are unsure. Um, 7% of those people were being bullied weekly or more often. Um, just over 50% had significant, significant depressive symptoms. So we're seeing really big overrepresentation in poor health and well-being outcomes, especially around kind of mental health, substance abuse, homelessness and suicide. Um, some of the other really good research we have in Aotearoa comes from a study called Counting Ourselves, which was carried out in 2018 at the University of Waikato. It looked at, at the experiences of Aotearoa's trans and gender diverse population in particular. Um, just over 1,000 respondents from age 14 up to 73. Um, and that, again, found that uh, about nine times the rate. So trans and gender diverse people in Aotearoa are experiencing high or very high levels of psychological distress at about nine times the rate of the general population. Right, so really overrepresented. 
um, which is really useful for us when we're thinking about the people that we're working with, right? So if we know that this is a group of young people who are really in need of mental health support, are we seeing that reflective in the people that we're working with? Um, are they accessing that care? Um, or are they there and we're just not aware of them? You know, whether there's barriers to accessing their care or they don't feel comfortable sharing about who they are, right? What I am really loving about the research at the moment is it's identifying some really great protective factors that, for me, are like a magic bullet, right? So simple. Um, counting ourselves, that Aotearoa study found that um, people who were supported by at least half of their family or whānau were almost half as likely to have attempted suicide in the last 12 months. So family support goes a long way. Um, and we're seeing that in international research as well, right? So study comes out of the States, looked at um, a group of gender-diverse young people, of children, um, who've been supported by their family to socially transition. So by socially transition, we mean things like changing their appearance, changing how they dress, changing their pronouns, changing their name, um, all the real simple stuff, and really importantly, all the stuff that's easy to do, right, and also um, easily reversible, right? Um, so none of these kids had access to any medical care yet. But critically, they were supported by their family in their identities. They came out, their whānau said, yep, cool, we are here, we're listening to you, we're affirming you, you are who you are, we accept that. Um, the rates of depression and anxiety among that group dropped back to being on par with the general population. So just being really affirmed by their family and their lived gender, magic, right? Um, we see similar things with the studies around name and pronoun use. So another study out of Canada um, looked again at gender diverse young people and whether their name and pronoun was used across four different contexts. So they looked at kids at home, at school, at work and with their friends and found that just one of those contexts, getting the name and pronoun right, reduces that suicidality by 56%, which is a massive drop in suicidal behaviour by just one space, again, really affirming them for who they are. And we can kind of drill down and extract from that by, you know, thinking, if, even if it's just one person, you know, doing their best to get that name and pronoun right, is having a really big impact on that young person's well-being and building resilience in other areas of their life as well. Um, so for those of you working in schools, that's something we share with schools a lot because we see a lot of contexts where a young person is out at school um, but doesn't have much support at home, is quite socially isolated, right? So that school doing their best to really affirm them in who they are is really building resilience in other areas of their life. And I think that's really important for this context in particular because we know that connection to community is a really great protective factor. We know that feeling connection to faith is a really big protective factor as well. Um, and as we've talked a little bit about tonight, so many people who are rainbow and from a faith community often get stuck in the middle, right? They don't feel safe to kind of come out in their community. Um, the rainbow community has a lot of religious trauma within it, and uh, sometimes that does not play out very well. Um, a lot of people, like the similar reaction you had um, in that gay church, will have that visceral reaction to the presence of religion or faith. Um, so a lot of people get stuck, you know, not feeling like they can be who themselves in their faith community and not feeling like they can talk about their faith in the rainbow community, right? Um, so for rainbow young people who are part of a faith community, if they're in an environment, if they're in a church that isn't affirming, um, these young people often don't have the same flexibility that us as adults do to move and join another church, right? Especially if they aren't out to their family. Um, so a lot of this work starts at home and doing what we can with the family and those around us. Any questions about that? Yes? Um, what advice would you give? Like, for me, I'm a youth leader and um, my daughter is part of the Rainbow yeah. community. Um, my biggest struggle at the moment, though, is 
that you trust me enough to confide in me. And what I'm actually finding is the youth that have more so grown up on the side of faith mm. are more of the ones that are coming out yeah. and really, really struggling to know what to do with it, whether it be they've said something at home and parents are supportive, or whether they're too scared to say yeah, something at absolutely. home, just how to support that. Yeah. Because, you know, their, their mental health is something that really does play on my mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's something we do a lot at Qtropia, is helping young people with their coming out plans. Um, so coming out is obviously really stressful for lots of people, but particularly so for people who might be in a faith community where they're unsure of what that reaction might be. Um, it can be so hard to tell when a young person doesn't want to tell their parents because they're really worried about their parents' reaction and a young person who does, doesn't want to have an awkward conversation, right? Look identical so often. Um, so a lot of what we do is just sit down and talk with them and um, see if we can ascertain, you know, is there anything your parents have said that make you feel like they wouldn't be okay with this? Um, again, bringing it back to the values of the faith, um, which is really useful. And then we just have it, you know, sit down and come up with a plan. We often recommend letters are a really good way to come out because it means that the young person can share everything that they want to share and the parents then get time to process, you know, whether it's in the same space or whether the young person reads it or they just hand it over and let them process. Um, it gives everyone time to kind of figure out their reaction. Um, and we always recommend people have a bit of a plan. So we plan for the worst but assume the best. Um, so things like making sure the young person has a space to go, whether it's just to their room or go hang out with a friend afterwards if they need to. Um, but just feeling prepared can reduce a lot of that anxiety, which is real big. And then parents often need a lot of support as well, right? So in all my the interactions with parents, like I said, I do a lot of sit-downs with people whose kids have just come out for the first time. Almost always, like 99% of the time, the concern is just because of that worry about what life is going to be like for the young person, right? For so long, the only stories we've seen on TV and Hollywood and the media about gay people, about trans people, have been the really tragic ones, right? The really sad stories. We don't see those possibility models, you know, those um, little stories of people living their own life. We don't get to see happy rainbow people so much. It's getting better now. But for so many parents, all they've known is the sad story, the worry about HIV or AIDS or the homophobia, the transphobia. Um, so sharing that stat that I shared just, just before, the impact that family support can have, like just them being there for the young person is already making a massive difference. Um, and then looking for things that they can watch together, right? Um, Heartstopper on Netflix is a real cute, age-appropriate, great for tweens, um, really lovely TV show. Um, about, you know, rainbow kids and their experiences, right? And I love it because <laughs> I watch that and I see people that I work with, right? It's, it doesn't feel like it's written by adults. It feels like it's written by young... And things like that can help people kind of reframe how they think uh, about their kids' future in their head, which is a real big impact. Yeah? Um, <coughs> what can I do to, like, you know, support a young young rainbow person who's just come out to their parents and their parents have reacted really negatively? Yeah, absolutely. So reaching out for further support, making sure that young person is connected with other social support, whether it's in their community or through us at Qtopia. Um, really useful for the parents to be able to sit down with someone they can talk with as well, whether that's us or there's someone appropriate in the community. But recognising that um, yeah, it's really difficult for everyone in that situation, right? And the more support we provide the parents, the more likely they are to kind of come around quicker and realise what's happening for them too. Any other questions? I have a yeah. And it relates into a recording that I heard about some gender diverse young people 
who were living in a house together in a flat in Auckland. And it was something that was really on my heart, and I just wondered if um, talking about safe spaces is something, is something that's dear to my heart with a bit of a vision is to create some safe living spaces. Mm. So even if it's a temporary living space, like my goddaughter, who is a lesbian, had a real difficult time with her parents who were close to me, and um, I said, come over to my place and create this space where sometimes maybe that tension in the house while those things are going on is just too much for both the parents and the... Um, the young people as well yep. and I know that for Billy, we will call her um, not having to fight every day yep. mm-hmm. um, and not having to navigate those things and not having to navigate the space with her girlfriend um, was a breath of fresh air so it's something that's really on my heart to, to, to look for work cooperatively with some other people but I just wanted to put that out there mm. and say you know these young people who were gathering and uh, was in a flat because they actually found that even trying to rent a flat as gender diverse or queer people yep. landlords were not <laughs> that's another whole another yep. level yep. Right? Mm-hmm. and so it meant that people sometimes came in and couch surfed and at least it was that's a safe space and so I just wondered I guess my I'm putting that out there but also asking the question about um, you know, I, I guess your experience where, where those, regardless of those families, those sort of situations are unsafe, and mm-hmm. whether anyone else, maybe I could ask you, but yeah. maybe there's anyone else you thought, you know, yeah, absolutely. Like there is, interested in, yeah. in putting together a master yeah. plan to create some of those spaces. Not talking about necessarily long term, but at least facilitating that safe living environment that might be in a place that takes a young person. Well, not so young, you know, yeah. out of you know of age where they can make the decisions to do so, but out of that environment which is unhealthy enough. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what the community's been doing forever, right? So there's no formal rainbow emergency housing. Um, we've done a bit of work with some of the emergency housing providers to build some of that competency. Um, but there's a huge need because we know that there's huge rates of homelessness and like transient living amongst this community. Um, once the youth hub here in Octotahi is built, they'll have they'll have housing on site, transitional housing, which is going to be a game changer. Um, but at the moment, it's like the informal network of aunties ringing up, being like, anyone got a couch spare? Anyone, anyone got a spare room? You know, and it, it's a like last year, um, I had a phone call from a social worker at the hospital where a young person had just come out of surgery and was told by their parents that they couldn't go back home. Um, and they had rang everyone, you know, every every time I recommended someone, they'd been like, I've already called, I've already called. Um, even going as far as calling respite and seeing if there's any bed anywhere. Um, like, it's rough, you know. So if you're working with an organisation that does emergency housing, <laughs> please send me an email. Um, yeah, uh, Rainbow Competency Professional Development is something we do at Q. So if you're working with an organisation that's interested, please reach out. Um, yeah, and like housing is at the top of my dream list. You know, that's big for sure. Um, yeah. What about um, young rainbow people who, this is Catholic, um, who are not being affirmed by their counsellors in Te Fatuora? Yeah. 
um, send me an email and I'll flash my badge and give them a phone call and, <laughs> and, and sort it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an it experience lots of people in the rainbow community have had, right? They've navigated the healthcare system and we've done a lot of work to make it better, but sometimes there's a bad egg somewhere um, and their care just gets railroaded or they had a dead end. Um, yeah, please, if you hear anything like that, let me know. Reach out to Qtopia. Um, that's part of my role as rainbow advisor at Pegasus is that, that I get to be the one that makes those phone calls, which is like a career achievement for me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and they have to listen to me. It's great. <laughs> um, as we're coming to the end, I thought I'd touch on some more practical side of things. Um, so pronouns, really useful tool of language. Um, if we're thinking back to the gender unicorn and thinking about gender identity and gender expression and how the, they might not always match, right? Mm-hmm. It means that we can't always necessarily tell someone's gender by looking at them because what they're expressing on the outside might not match their identity on the inside, right? Um, so something we have to get much more comfortable with, um, and I'm still on this journey myself, is you know asking people's pronouns and sharing your own. So when I introduce myself tonight, I always introduce myself by saying, Kia ora, my name's Jen, my pronouns are she and her. Um, at Qtropia we do that because it means that you all don't have to guess or assume or ask. Um, in a context where you're working with people one-on-one, it's also a really good way to kind of open the door. Like if you're sharing your own pronouns, that's a really useful signal to someone that you have some understanding about this already and kind of is a soft open for them to share their own. Um, but we just have to get more comfortable with asking as well. So there are so many ways to do it. It can be really useful to have a script in your back pocket. You know, something like, Kia my name's Jean, my pronouns are she and her. Um, so nice to meet you today. What's your name? How would you like me to refer to you? Well, what's your name? What are your pronouns? How do we gauge if it's a safe space to share my pronouns? Because as someone who doesn't tip it, who's um, obvious assigned sex at birth does not match their gender expression of the gender identity. <sighs> The vibe. <laughs> so often it's the vibe. Um, a little visual signals. So um, I'll chat about some tips for allyship, but visibility is a really big one. So rainbow lanyards, really handy. Um, thinking about the resources that are in your waiting rooms, your consult rooms, where you're meeting with people. Um, I see that someone has printed out this amazing resource, um, rainbowmentalhealth.nz. So I think it's changed its URL to rainbowmentalhealth.com. Um, gorgeous resource made for mental health providers, but applicable to everyone. And with it is, I don't know if they have them here, there are these gorgeous posters, similar art style, lots of native New Zealand birds that say things like, everyone's welcome here, share us, you know, tell us your pronouns, things like that. So those visual signals go a long because way. Sometimes, like, you know, sorry, I've, I've gauged the word, I'm like, okay, safe, but then it's backfired. Yeah. Yeah, it can be really tricky. Yeah. yeah. Have, I don't know if I'm the only one in this situation. Hopefully not. Hopefully I am actually. Have you got any advice for people working in, say, a school or an environment where that is not okay? So yeah, maybe sure. You said, no, we're not okay with you asking for different pronouns, but a kid has, and you're working with them, you want to be a safe person, but you can't go across. Yeah, of course, right? So there's so many different situations where we might be put in sticky situations like that, whether it's a school has said no or the kids' parents don't know, things like that. So transparency is a really useful tool, you know, letting the young person know, um, saying something like, you know, thanks so much for sharing that with me, um, and figuring out where your own personal and professional boundaries might sit. So in a context like that, I might say something like, um, I'm going to do my best to use those pronouns for you whenever I can. Um, This, unfortunately, is the school's position 
transition, we're going to keep trying and work and pushing back on that. Um, but that means that other staff might call you something different or, you know, sometimes it might not go the way that you expect. Um, and also really important to be really transparent and saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a human, right? I can't promise that I'm not going to make mistakes. Um, so particularly for a young person whose parents might not know, but the school is really supportive, that's a really big conversation to have. It's like, you know, if your parents ask us, we can't lie, right? And we can't guarantee that someone isn't going to say the wrong thing to one of your parents and let that slip out, right? But um, giving people agency is a really powerful tool and giving them information so they know exactly what's happening can be really useful as well. Um, but sometimes, again, it comes back to the values of your faith, right, and having to sometimes push on those boundaries. Um, and if you want me to send an email to your school out of the blue offering them some competency <laughs> training. <laughs> We've had a lot of difficult conversations like that and they've been quite successful. So. <laughs> yeah. Tricky, right? Real tricky. <laughs> yeah? Um, so I, I, I used to be a lawyer, um, hoping to be a lawyer soon. But if you're in court and you go, you're on Matt piece to call my name is Nartai and I appear for, and the person you're appearing for is a they or a them, how do you describe that to the court? So what would you what would you usually say in that situation? Um, my client is Mr. Smith. Ah, Mr. yeah. So you would use a, a prefix. Um, MX is one that's really popular by people who use they them pronouns. I so mix. mix, mix. Some people say mixter. Yeah. So MX X is a pretty common like neutral. If you have a contact for me, then yes, absolutely. Love to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 can do. Um, using someone's name is often a really easy... So if your situation as well, using the young person's name can kind of avoid having to use a pronoun, um, which can be a huge benefit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's lots of gender-neutral alternatives out there. MX is really popular. Um, some of the tricky ones that we're... I like the one that still sticks with me is that some people use the word uncle <coughs> instead of auntie or uncle. And I that one's not quite there yet. My favourite is nibbling instead of niece or um, nephew. Yeah. Nibbling is like, that's great. I love that. That's fantastic. No. Um... It can be really valuable to start to kind of systematise some of the pronoun stuff as well. So if you're working with an organisation that has intake forms or registration forms, including a space for pronouns on there can go a long way because it means that we're asking everyone by default rather than kind of de facto singling out the people we think might use different pronouns. Um, and it's just getting to the point when we were normalising it, right? Like the more often we do it, the easier it gets, the more people understand. Same goes for email uh, email signatures, pronouns and email signatures. Another one of those visual signals um, sometimes someone might share a pronoun with you that isn't she he or they um, there are what's often called neo pronouns which have actually been around since the 70s and um, the more one of the most common ones you'll see is a m ear which is like they them there without the th at the start um, and they're generally used by gender diverse people who feel like she he or they doesn't really reflect who they are inside or reflect their identity so we talk a lot about gender dysphoria, which is that feeling of disconnect between um, your gender identity and then your physical body and how people perceive you and how you move through the world, which is, can be really distressing. Um, but what we are needing to talk more and more about is the experience of gender euphoria, which is that opposite, where everything is like really clicking, you really like how you look, everyone is calling you the right thing. And for some people, pronouns like A, M and E give them that gender euphoria, right? 
So really important to know that if someone shares something with you and you're like, oh shit, I've never heard that before in my life, what do I do? It's okay, don't panic, it happens to me all the time and this is my day job. <laughs> it's totally okay to ask, right? So saying something like, thanks so much for sharing that with me, that's real cool. Um, I haven't heard those pronouns before. You know, do you mind giving me an example um, so I know how to use them? And then I promise I'll do my best to get it right, but it might take me some time to figure it out, right? And in fact, if someone comes out to you or shares something about their identity, I would almost always ask a follow-up question along the lines of, tell me about what that means for you. <coughs> because even if two people use the same words to describe themselves, they might have really different experiences, right? Mm. So saying something like, thank you so much for sharing that with me, that's real cool, I'm real proud of you, tell me a bit more about what that means for you, lets them share in as much detail as they like, relevant to the context that you're in about what's going on for them. So a real handy trick. Yeah? Does anywhere in Christchurch have a binder program? Yes, we've got one. <laughs> Why is that not publicised? Uh, word of mouth. Um, we are pretty low on binders. Um, come along to one of our social groups on a Wednesday and I'll drop some off. Um, yeah, so we have a binder library um, for those who are looking to bind their chest with chest binders. Um, you order them online and it can be really tricky to figure out what size is right and post takes ages and you've got to send it back. So we've got a limited stock. Um, we use the seamstress in Wellington who makes them in partnership with a physio, physio so they're pretty quick to get. I think they're like $50 from her, but we've got all the sizes in stock so people can try one on and then go order one for themselves. Um, and if someone doesn't have the financial means to do that or they're fine or supportive or whatever, we've got a small amount that we can give away as well. Because if you're a student, it's really it's really not feasible to order a binder from gender minority, you know, the, the size gender yep. minority out of our lists because it's like $94. Yep. I don't have that kind of money. Yeah, they're real expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, coming to an end, I thought I'd talk through some of our top tips for allyship. Let's see if I can remember them all without the slide in front of me. Um, be visible is a really big one. We've kind of touched on it already. Um, but for so many of us in the community, whenever we're interacting with someone new or engaging with a new service, um, we can kind of go back into the closet, right? Coming out isn't just thing we, a thing that we do once. We kind of come out with every new situation and context, right? So often when we're engaging with a new service or meeting someone new, particularly if we're feeling really vulnerable, we'll be looking for those kind of visual signals to signify that it's a safe space for us to be who we are, to share about what's going on for us, to bring our whole selves, right? Um, and we touched on that a little bit earlier when we were talking about um, clarity on church's journeys or um, some really explicit information on church websites, right? Because we feel like it should be obvious that we're a welcoming and inclusive place. Um, but for so many people who might have had negative experiences, whether it's a faith or with the healthcare system or with a school, they'll be looking at a website or somewhere public where they can see, like, you know, Kia Durham Street Methodist Church is open to our whole community, including our Rainbow, our Disabled, our Māori, our Pacifica members. You know, everyone's welcome here. And that explicit statement really lets people know that actually it is okay, rather than having to guess, right? So things like that, rainbow lanyards, posters, um, if you're keen, join up to the Safe Space Alliance, they'll give you a little sticker, things like that can go a long way. Um, but making sure we're backing up with action, so letting our action speak for us as well. We really are trying to get to that point where we're thinking about this inclusion work and everything that we do, which sounds like a lot, but it, it's like a muscle, right? The more you do it, the easier it gets, becomes second nature. Um, so practice is really big. Um, let our actions speak for us. <laughs> 
Um, making sure that we are responding to anti-LGBT plus behaviour when we do see it um, is a really big one. Um, to use it a, an example from schools, something we hear from our young people a lot is that when there is some harassment or homophobic language or targeted bullying and it happens within earshot of a, a leader, a teacher, a staff member or another authority figure and that person isn't seen to do something in the moment, it feels really bad for that person, right? Because it can feel like that behaviour is okay, um, that the school is in a safe environment, that that person is in a safe person, but more than anything it can feel really isolating, like there's no one in that environment that will stand up for them, right? And it doesn't have to be big, it can be as simple as saying like, hey no, that's not acceptable, and people might want to get into it, and if you want to, you can, but you're also totally allowed to say, I'm not interested in talking about this, I made it clear, that's not okay. And that does so many things, right? Because it shows that person that behaviour wasn't okay. It shows everyone around you that behaviour wasn't okay. It sets the example for other people to follow that they can stand up as well. And most critically, it means the person who was the target of that doesn't feel as alone, right? There's someone around them that will stand up for them, which is real big. Um, Being curious without discomfort. So it's really natural for us as people to have unconscious bias. That's really natural. It's a part of being a human. It's really important to be able to be more mindful of that bias, especially when it's about other people, because that's when it can start to impact on the work that we do. Um, When we experience bias, we most often experience it as discomfort. Right? Someone says something or shares something or we meet someone new, we're in a new situation, we feel uncomfortable, we feel strange, we feel a bit sticky and our natural instinct is to kind of put a bit of distance between us and that feeling or what's causing that feeling, right? to protect ourselves from that feeling which is really natural. But if we're able to really be curious about that emotion and reflect on it a bit and ask ourselves, you know, what's making me feel this way? What's going on here? What's happening? We can start to unpack it and it might be that there's some bias at the core of that which helps us to be more mindful of that in the future. The other thing about bias is that it's made up of, really defined by what we know about the world, right? So our own bias comes from everything that we've been taught throughout our life, right? Uh, Where we lived, what channel we got our news from, whether we went to church or not, or what kind of church we went to, the books we read, all of these things have kind of fed us information about the world, but from their own kind of limited perspective and built up what we know about the world, right? And we tend to have more bias about things that are new or different or outside of that worldview. So a really easy way to start to break down that bias is just to learn more about the world and the people within it, right? So thinking about what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're listening to, um, even who we follow on social media, right? There are so many organizations in Aotearoa and around the world that are doing a whole heap of education work about the rainbow community for free on the internet every day, right? You can follow a couple of Instagram accounts or Facebook pages or TikTok accounts and it gets delivered to you on the daily in a really passive way. Uh, Most important thing is remembering that ally is a verb, right? It's a doing word, so we have to put it into practice and keep on doing. Any questions about those? Fantastic. (laughs) Um, To end with, I thought I would maybe talk a little bit about where to go for more help. So... Hi. <laughs> um, we are at Qtopia, we're here for any rainbow person or anyone supporting a rainbow person in the South Island, right? Whether it's for a phone call, whether it's for a cup of tea or an email, you just have a question, you have a sticky situation, you want some training for your workplace or whatever it is, we're here to help in any way that we can. So please do feel free to reach out. Um, if you're outside of Christchurch, we're connected with all the other organisations around the country um, in a group called the Rainbow, uh, yeah, rainbow Support Collective. Um, so if you reach out to one of us and you're outside of Rohe, we'll pass you on to someone who's closer to you. 
um, but also reaching out to the people in your community, right? I think being all here together tonight is a really powerful thing, right? And I'm sure Craig would be happy to connect people up via email. I'm assuming you have people's emails. Um, but I think this network that you've created here tonight is really powerful, right? So leaning on those relationships and really leaning on those networks. Um, yeah, really critical. Do you have anything you want to add? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that case, I think we're a little early. If anyone has any other questions they wanted to ask now, otherwise I'll hang around for another 10 minutes or so and you can come ask directly. Yeah. I just wanted to chuck two examples in that I've seen recently of um, the allyship thing work really well. One of them is here. Um, we spoke about this earlier with the, with the drag reading that happened in the library um, where there was, there, there, you know, there was a group of protesters who arrived and, I, and unfortunately it's pretty embarrassing, but I bet you some of those were conservative Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but yet a group of community ca- people came in and stood in front of them and sung Waiata to to oversh- overshadow their message. That is our lightship, mm. right? Standing in the gap, right? We talk about we've talked about you know as as someone who's grown up in church, we talk about that all the time, right? This is a Jesus thing. We're meant to be the good Samaritan, get off our horse. That's it. Mm. The second thing, and it, it was a unfortunately it wasn't a great. Uh, wasn't the best kind of outcome for me. So I was at, I was at our Wellington Hikui um, march, and we marched up to Parliament, and there was only one guy um, who had a banner that said, you know, it's okay to be gay, but you've got to, you can't have sex, otherwise you're going to burn in hell, um, and was praying over everybody and things like that. Um, the problem was, though, that it was our queer people who had to get out, leave their parade, and go and um, surround him with umbrellas, um, and other things to shelter him from the young rangatahi mm-hmm. um, who were at the parade. Mm-hmm. What we needed there was an ally. What mm-hmm. we needed there was our straight allies, um, our straight church leaders to stand in the gap and block that mm-hmm. so that our queer people could move back into the parade and mm-hmm. celebrate and, or march for their kaupapa. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's two examples, right? One where it works, one where it different, different doesn't. But you know, seek out those things. It's Pride Month. It's Pride Week or a couple of weeks in Christchurch at the moment. Think actually, you know, there's a, there's an event coming up. I might just go to that and make sure that there's nobody. Um, there's a couple of street preachers that we have heard about right here in Christchurch that we've got. You know, we're talking to the police about, for example. Um, you know, turn up to those events and go. I'm just going to be here as an ally. You know, and I'm going to make sure that you know if there's something happens, I'm there to take that person away. A proud moment of my dad. So my. Um, I told you that I came out and Dad was like, oh, I'm really proud of you, Craig, and that. We turned up to the Auckland Pride Parade um, and there was a whole bunch of the preachers there and he went and took them all out, took them all aside and said, come on, you've got to stop, this is rubbish. And I was like, come, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think us, us as Christians, we, it is our systemic religion that has caused a lot of this mm-hmm. hatred and religion, right? So we have a responsibility to fill the gap, mm. and there are too many young, young, young people having to see, you know, at like um, have a look at the posts for tonight on Facebook. I I published it. I put a, did a boosted the post, so you know it goes to everybody's Facebook feed. Have a look at the disgusting comments that are on there from conservative Christians, and there are young, and I have to remove them because I know we've got young, young people also seeing those posts, and I don't want them to, right? But what I'm looking for is where's the allies jumping in to say, hey, John, or whatever your name is, um, you know, 
that's not okay, that's not appropriate. So mm -hmm. these are the opportunities that you guys can um, jump into, and they're all there. You know? mm -hmm. um, it happens every single minute. Mm -hmm. um, so, just <laughs> yeah, sorry, thank you. No, that's perfect. Example, that's perfect. Know? And I think, um, sorry, I'll go on. You've got um, uh, uh, thinking about these systemic things, right? They can feel really big, they can feel sometimes insurmountable, right? But remembering that the system is made up of people, right? Mm. So, we really can't overstate the impact of that grassroots effect, right? So, one person doing something doesn't just does something, but it shows other people that it can as well. So, working with the people around you. Um, doing what we can to make changes within our sphere of influence, to educate those around us, to spread the word. And it has that exponential effect, right? One person um, helping one, you know, another person with this stuff and learning more and sharing, that person can go help more people and it spreads and spreads and spreads. And even in the organisations where it feels like there's a brick wall, right, of leadership saying, no, absolutely not, doing what we can to work with our peers, our colleagues, those around us, those within the community, because no community is a monolith, right? Um, even within some of those quite conservative spaces, there will be people there who are open to this. And again, always, always bringing it back to the values of the faith, right? I feel like that's the most obvious thing. Mm. Thank you. Um, there is a human rights workshop tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, 9.30? 9.30. 930. 9.30. So the Human Rights Commission have... Um, so you know that the Conversion Practices Bill um, went through... A year, year and a half ago, year and a bit ago, mm -hmm. um, which is really awesome. It's now illegal for um, doctors, medical professionals, anybody to con try and convert somebody based on their gender um, or sexual orientation. Um, so the Human Rights Commission really wanted to push into that a bit more and go a little bit more with that. Um, so they are holding a workshop here tomorrow with the idea they want to speak to um, queer Christians or people who are connected to queer um, queer Christians about how to create a service that um, is is uh, or, or messaging or um, resources for people so that they can a identify that hey you actually are probably getting converted um, what does conversion look like um, in a modern day and, and what to do, or how to report that, that kind of thing. So if you're interested in that conversation, that's in the morning. In the afternoon, um, the Human Rights Commission are going to be giving a presentation on the conversion practices legislation, what that means for churches, what that means for people. So if you're interested in knowing some of that stuff, come into the afternoon session. Um, but they're both being run by the Human Rights Commission right here. I just wanted to say sandwiched in between that was the pastor's lunch. Oh, yes. I just wanted to acknowledge that and uh, acknowledge that in this space as well, there's, there's people that I know uh, who are either um, church leaders themselves or elders or people on staff at churches who do care and are passionate and um, are putting in the hard mahi. Um, and to that, I just want to say I see you and I want to say thank you. Um, yeah, just spread the love, and I, I pray that that continues on, um, and that's my part. I also wanted to say thank you to Craig for enabling this and hosting this, and I want to say thanks to Jen for stepping in last minute when Alice wasn't able to. Thank you. And um, the way the pizza was, there's a clipboard with a blank piece of paper with name, pronouns, and email address. If you want to keep in contact, Please put your um, details on there and we'll sort something out and make something happen. 
um, and try and get a little bit of um, momentum on. And just to close, I wonder if anyone wants to finish off in a Fakutoki, a Waita, or a Karakia. Um, so, Waita? We all go to the organ.